welcome back to Round Guy Radio as we continue our coverage of the uh, the June 7th primaries. Uh, we have a, a Republican candidate for, is it District 88? It is. District 88. Uh, Dustin Height. Welcome to the program, Dustin. Thanks for having me today, Dave. Well, tell, uh, tell our listeners uh, how they can follow you on social media, uh, uh, your websites, or, or uh, how they can get a hold of your campaign. Sure. Uh, so I'm Hype for Iowa on uh, Facebook, and my email is dustin.d.height at gmail.com. And would, I would welcome any questions or comments that anybody would like to give me. Well, Dustin, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, where you come from, what kind of background you have, and uh, uh, how it led you to be a house rep. Sure. So uh, I live in New Sharon with my wife, Kate, and our two daughters. Um, and I'm, I've am i lived in New Sharon uh, for the past a little over 10 years, but have been a lifelong resident of that area and uh, rural Mahaska County. Um, I uh, am seeking a re-election in the Iowa House. I'm currently serving my second term, so uh, four years. And with redistricting, uh, my district got a little bit uh, changed significantly. Um, prior to being in the Iowa House, I was mayor of the big city of New Sharon for seven years. Uh, I'm an attorney uh, by trade, so I do that uh, day to day. Um, graduate of North Mahaska High School, uh, Central College, and then the University of Iowa Law School. Um, but uh, so, th- I mean, that's that's kind of my background. Um, I currently serve as the chair of the Education Committee of the Iowa House, but also sit on the Judiciary, the Ways and Means, and uh, Information Technology, which is a new committee uh, this session. So tell me about uh, the the new the new part of your district. I believe Keokuk County, Northern Jefferson County, is essentially what's new to you. Uh, yeah, and actually the rural part of Mahaska County. So my old district used to be uh, Oskaloosa and Western Mahaska County and Pella, and now it's Oskaloosa, Eastern Mahaska County, all of Keokuk, and the northern part of Jefferson County, but not including. Uh, Vedic City or Fairfield. So uh, a substantial amount of territory is new, although the, the residents of Oskaloosa and New Sharon are not new to me, and that uh, makes up the uh, the bulk of the population of this district. Well, tell me about, tell me something about the new part of the district that you're representing. That uh, what, what are you hearing from the, the, the voters over on that side? You know, it, it, it's a lot of what I hear, uh, you know, hear from uh, my current district, uh, a lot of the same concerns, you know, folks are worried about, uh, right now they're worried about inflation, um, they're, they're worried about their taxes, uh, specifically property tax, um, because, uh, you know, we hear that especially around fall and, and spring when people are, people are writing those checks to the, to the local government. Um, but, you know, really it's, it's, it's a lot of the same, you know, it's, it's rural Iowa, it's small town. So a lot of those same concerns, you know, making sure that rural Iowa stays uh, vital, uh, have a lot of farmers in this district. And so ag issues are certainly, you know, high on the high on the priority list. Um, and we, we deal with those on a regular basis every year. Well, this is a, a very, very rural area. Uh, talk to me about planning season, how that's that's gone for the district. And uh, I know it got off to a slow start. Where do you think we're at on it? Yeah, so so uh, the farmers that I talk to, uh, it sounds like we're getting we're getting planning wrapped up. Um, uh, 
uh, you know, they were, it was late, it was late, it was late. And then I think farmers just worked around the clock for, you know, a week or two and really put some acres, uh, put some, uh, put some acres down. And uh, it sounds like what I'm talking to, a lot of farmers are finished up or are finishing up. And right now the it, it's looking pretty good. Um, you know, last year was a good crop year in this area. Prices are, are high right now, which is obviously good. Um, the downside to that is input costs are also up for our farmers, and so that's not so great. Um, but what you know, what I'm what I'm hearing is um, they are uh, they've got the they've got their crops mostly done, um, which is good. And you know, we're we're approaching the beginning of June, and then that starts to get pretty late. Yeah, and uh, the the crops that I do see emerging really look good, don't they? They do. Um, you know, and, and you know, we've had a pretty wet spring, um, but I think last year, uh, if that tells us anything, some of these hybrids that we have, uh, they're able to withstand some some pretty drastic weather. Um, so hopefully this year, uh, you know, we are looking at the same kind of year as last year as far as yields. Well, you mentioned the input cost and uh, fertilizer seems to be the uh, maybe the, the, the epicenter of what, what's going on, uh, particularly potash. Now, I'm told uh, lots and lots of potash mines and production in Russia that's no longer available. Also, there's a, a lot of potash in Canada. How, how is the fertilizer uh, situation for the farmers looking at? What's, what's going on with that? You know, uh, you know, I'm kind of hearing the same thing as you are, Dave. Uh, you know, it's it's price. Uh, I've not not had a lot of folks tell me that they are they're having a trouble getting it. Um, but, um, I, I think, you know, that may be, that may be coming, um, you know, especially when, you know, supply chains are just, they're just up in the air, whether it's fertilizer or almost anything else, it seems like, you know, at the beginning of this, uh, this, uh, season, it was, it was parts and, and those sorts of things that farmers needed to get their equipment up and running and, you know, having trouble sometimes getting some of those. So, um, I'm not not had anybody really tell me about the fertilizer issue other than the cost uh, just being kind of, I'll say it out of control this year. Um, but hopefully it's, um, you know, not going to be as bad as it may seem like it's going to, but well, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Well, what are some of the other input costs you're hearing about that uh, farmers are struggling with? Well, again, I mean, seed is obviously the biggest one and it just seems like um, seed goes up and up and up when I was, uh, growing up on a farm, I could I could uh, tell you exactly how much a bag of seed corn costs. I think they're up to uh, several hundred dollars a bag now. Um, but you know, seed is the, is the big one, and then you know, again, it's it's parts and all of those things. And now you got fuel um, is you know an input cost. We don't really think of an input cost, but um, farmers use a lot of a lot of diesel to get those crops in the ground and get the tillage done. And so I think that's another big one that just was not. They were not expecting. Um, you know, you could see the other prices rise, but that fuel really shot up, and I think that's kind of that's kind of a big issue for our farmers, and quite frankly, for for everyday Iowans, um, is fuel costs. Well, across this nation, we're uh, having some odd things happen at food processing plants. Uh, dozens of fires, a couple planes crash into food processing plants. Uh, uh, is there a safety or a security problem or, or around food processing? Is that something that the state of Iowa needs to pay attention to? 
Well, I mean, I think I think it always has been an issue. Uh, you know, obviously, when COVID hit, we kind of saw how important our supply chain is for food. Um, you know, and it's something that we've addressed in in the Iowa legislature. Maybe not on the level that you're talking about, but you know, we've we've done this agriculture trespass um, because that's really kind of the next the next thing is is biosecurity. You know, making sure that our um, especially with our livestock feeding operations that uh, they are secure and safe and free of disease. And so we've really worked on trying to address that issue from the Iowa House because um, I think that's one issue that we do have control over and uh, can really make a difference in. But that's, you know, the biosecurity is kind of what I've been hearing from my farmers. So uh, we've had some uh, uh, rural crime. Well, I, I heard Sigourney had some uh, uh, vandalism on the square, where several buildings defaced. Uh, Farm uh, used farm equipment is an all time high. People are desperate, you know, with the economy being so bad and the prices of everything being so high, it's kind of pushing thieves out into maybe rural areas or looking into barns and things. Uh, how is how is the state of Iowa working to address the increase in crime and uh, protect rural people and maybe use some technology and innovations to help uh, survey some of these uh, further reaching places? Yeah, so uh, a couple of things that we've been doing, and this has kind of been going on for the past couple years, um, is you know we, we did increase crimes and penalties for intentional destruction of pro public property. Um, that was a big one that we saw a couple of summers ago where people vandalized uh, public monuments and public property, and so we, we, we increased the penalties on that. Um, you know, we continue to support our law enforcement. I think you know they're they're on the front lines and ensuring that uh, our our men and women who are protecting us, you know, that they have our support. Um, you know, we worked on sheriff's pay a couple years ago, making sure that we have um, you know good people in those positions. You know, one issue that yeah, I'd heard about but really hadn't really considered um, is catalytic converter theft. Uh, we made that a crime, and or well, it's already been a crime, but. Um, we, we made registration requirements and all these things, you know, uh, that was just one of those kind of one-off deals that has become a big issue um, across the state, you know, both in cities and in rural areas. So, you know, we had, we addressed that um, that way as far as, um, you know, specific to the ag, you know, other than the ag uh, trespass that we've talked about. Um, you know, I think it's really just making sure that our law enforcement have the support they need. The crimes are there. Um, you know, theft is still a crime, um, and uh, depending on the value, is is varying levels. So the, the crime is still there, but making sure that our that our police officers have the resources necessary to pursue those, um, and part of that includes, you know, funding for the DCI. You know, those are the uh, the Department of Criminal Investigation, the Crime Lab in Ankeny, those are the people that kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together, if you will, and solve some of these things. So making sure that that they have the proper funding, they have the, the necessary uh, techs and uh, people that can do that work. Uh, you know, that's something we've constantly been working on, constantly been increasing those to make sure that they can address the crime that is out there. So the last few years, it just seems like there's been an assault on police. There has been a, almost a mainstream narrative of uh, that the police are bad and kind of supports violence against the police. And I'm looking at a, a lot of instances of, you know, police officers being hit, you know, stabbed with knives and hit on the head and cracked their skull open. And I see this uh, 
sometimes as much as 50% of the police report involves something called assault against a person with uh, specific uh, occupations. So uh, talk to me about how we can keep our police a little safer. So, you know, that's another issue that we've been working on, especially with our back to blue bill of, I think it was two years ago, um, that, uh, you know, targeted some of those specific uh, crimes. So one of the crimes that we had, we'd heard about after the riots is, is, um, is uh, using lasers um, to, to attempt to blind folks. And so we, we addressed that, um, you know, and, you know, basically I think it's, it's, it's part of it is, is changing the narrative that, you know, our police officers, they're out there, they're doing a tough job. Um, and, uh, you know, they have to make split second decisions uh, that uh, can be life or death uh, situations. And so ensuring that, um, you know, that we have their back, you know, that we're not going to, we're not going to unnecessarily uh, second guess them, but also, um, you know, when, when there are officers that uh, are doing things they're not supposed to, unfortunately, it happens just like almost any other group of people, um, holding them accountable too so that our good officers, which is the vast majority of them, um, they don't have to deal with that negative uh, publicity because we know that they're doing good work. Well, they sure are doing good work and the people around here uh, support them. And with the aging population, you know, we, we really do need to be protected. Uh, uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, property. Uh, there's a lot of protests going on. Uh, what about these uh, going to a person's house and protests? And then uh, what if that person's a juror, a juror, uh, 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 a county attorney, maybe a judge, uh, maybe a witness to a crime, and uh, all of a sudden, I, I don't understand that that people have actually have the right to go to a person's residence and protest. So uh, some of that, uh, you know, if, if you're on public street, you know, that's that's public property. People have a right to be there. Um, but a couple of the, the things you were talking about, um, we did uh, we have strengthened the and I think it's called the safe at home program. Um, so I'm sure that you and a lot of your listeners are aware that you can basically look up any anybody's home uh, if they own their own home through the county assessor's website. You can see where they live. Um, and that sort of thing. And so what this program does is, is allows law enforcement, um, and I believe that it includes county attorneys, but I'm not positive about that one, to basically say, hey, I want that information. Well, it's it's still a public record. It's not going to be out on the Internet. So it's not one of those um, where people can just look up, you know, Officer Joe Smith. Um, you know, he upset me. I can go see where he lives. Um, we've also strengthened uh, some of the penalties regarding tampering with witnesses. Um, you know, that's an issue that uh, has started to, to arise a little bit. Um, and so we've, we've strengthened those penalties this past year um, just to make sure that, you know, again, our, our justice system has to be fair. And when you're trying to intimidate witnesses, when you're trying to intimidate uh, prosecutors, when you're trying to intimidate police officers, um, not only is that just simply wrong, it, it, it affects the fairness of our system. And so um, those are a few of the steps that we've taken. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we'll continue to go down that road just to make sure that uh, those folks uh, don't have to deal with those consequences or those those unnecessarily, you know, uh, I'll call them intimidations because that's just that's, that's not how it should work. Well, how is a public road a proper place to to protest? I mean, isn't that for traffic? Uh, well, and that that may have been a wrong. <laughs> yes, we've we've actually made that a crime to to stop traffic. Um, I guess I was thinking more like you know sidewalks and those sorts of 
of things, um, you know, uh, is is what I was talking about. So we've had some interests of, you know, churches being defiled, uh, people entering mass uh, to disrupt it, uh, even a, a shooting in California at a church. Uh, well, what are we doing to protect religious properties and make sure that people can uh, enter? You know, that they should have a safe entrance and exit. I do believe that's the law into a religious facility. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those laws, like you say, they're they're on the books. Um, and so some of it just comes down to, to enforcing those if it's necessary. You know, I've not been aware of any any issues in this district, um, not heard of anything. Um you know, so I, you know, I don't necessarily know that, it, that it's an issue right here, um, but we definitely have those laws on the books. And if, if there are things that we need to do to change them, um, we can look at them. But, you know, you can't I mean, you can't um, you can't be uh, disrupting the peace. I mean, that's you know, that's kind of the that's kind of the the. Um, the main law we got out there, you can peacefully protest. I don't think anybody's saying that that's not, that shouldn't happen or anything like that. Um, but we have a lot of those laws on the books to protect, you know, religious organizations and, 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 and anything. So uh, one of the big things uh, that I hear at debates and as I hear as I talk to people is uh, basically it comes down to boys in the girls' shower, boys in the girls' locker rooms, uh, girls walking topless at the pool. Well, where, where do you stand on all that? And, and uh, is that stuff that people should have to put up with? So, I mean, that's that's obviously been, been uh, becoming a hot, uh, hot button issue uh, around here. Um, and unfortunately, as, as you know, we've looked into those different uh, topics and there's been different proposals. Um, but a lot of that comes down from the federal law, from the Federal Civil Rights Act and how it's been interpreted. And, um, you know, whether or not the, the question is whether or not there's actually an ability from the state to do anything. And, and, and as we look into that, um, it, it doesn't appear to be. I mean, the federal government has sued many schools across the country uh, to enforce what you're talking about, the, uh, the locker room issue and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, when it comes to the pool issue, um, you know, I, I've um, – been looking across the state where we have, and we and and you know one of the places that I look to is the University of Iowa. They have a pool policy regarding appropriate attire um, that I think would address some of those issues uh, as well. Um, but some a lot of that is is coming down from the federal level. You know, this year uh, we did address an issue with um, girls' sports and ensuring that those remain fair. Uh, it took us a while to make sure that what we crafted we think will uh, withhold and upstand a, a court challenge. I mean, that's the important thing is, you know, whatever we want it, whatever we do, we want to try to make sure that it's going to actually hold up. Um, and not just uh, get uh, struck down and just create unnecessary litigation. So, um, you know, we'll look at those issues. I think that's an important one that people are 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 uh, interested in in this election. But again, I think it's important to make sure that when we do something, we're not just doing it just to make headlines and make everybody feel good. But we want to make sure that we're actually uh, we're actually creating change, and change is going to stick. Well, a school in Loudoun County. Uh had a, uh, a boy enter a woman's restroom and rape a girl. And then he was ex expelled and just moved to a different school where he raped a girl and was convicted of both of those things. 
I just can't see how girls are safe or privacy is being protected. And I just don't understand is, is it federal laws trumping this or there just isn't any will to do the right thing here? No, I mean, I, I think it really is. It, it's, it's the federal civil rights act and how it's being interpreted by the federal courts. Um, <clears throat> The issue in Loudoun County, absolutely, that that is is uh, wrong, and that should have been um, that should have been addressed. And you know, the moving from school to school to school, um, you know, that certainly is not that certainly is not appropriate. And um, you know, and I and I, I don't know the exact specifics of that, and you know what what happened there to allow that to happen more than one time. Um, but you know, I know with with our system especially when it comes to sex offenses and people with pending charges um there are pretty strict rules and pretty strict um procedures in place to to protect the public in those instances well let's talk about school choice uh Mm -hmm. uh, you're on the head of the education committee uh it seems that the governor has one view of it and you have another view of it uh uh let's let's uh discuss that Sure. So, you know, I am all for school choice, and that's why I voted uh, to expand the STO program, the school tuition organization um, program, which allows tax credits for uh, private donations that go to help um, low-income kids uh, get to private schools. That's why I voted to eliminate the open enrollment deadline and also ran the bill and voted to eliminate what's called what were called uh, voluntary diversity plans uh, that kept kids in in certain schools. Um, That's why I've always supported uh, homeschooling and making sure that the government does not become any more involved in those. Um, The governor's proposal for ESAs, you know, that's one that did not have the support in the House. It's not one that I think is an appropriate, um, is not the right way for the state of Iowa. You know, when you look at school choice across the country, there's many different options. And one of the options that me and many of my colleagues have suggested has been utilizing tax credits and possibly even refundable tax credits to get you to the same point that doesn't have uh, maybe some of the same uh, downsides as as the governor's proposal. Uh, One thing I've talked to um, uh, private school parents is the concern that once the state of Iowa starts uh, starts u- utilizing uh, money and giving them straight to, to private schools that, uh, you know, the, the state of Iowa could come in and, and try to uh, dictate a little bit more to the private schools, and they're concerned with that. And that's why, like I said, I think a lot of us are saying, you know, hey, this isn't maybe the right issue for Iowa. This isn't the right approach for Iowa, but there are other issues that we would be supportive, including tax credits and expanding the tuition and textbook tax credit. If you weren't the head of the education committee, would the governor's plan get out of committee? Uh, no. And that's that's always what I've told people. I've been upfront and honest. If the votes were there, it, it, it would have went up for a vote, but the votes were simply not there. Well, give us an example of some legislation that you've worked on that's helped farmers. Um, so I have been um, I've been substantially involved in in taxes ever since I've been in the in the um, Iowa legislature. My first year, I ran the property tax transparency bill uh, that really was an attempt to help uh, what is one of the big expenses of farmers, and that is property taxes. Um, so that's one. Um, a, a colleague of mine. And I, uh, last year, uh, and had been for many years, pushing to get rid of the Iowa inheritance tax. What we saw that as was an unfair 
an unfair tax on people that basically didn't have kids. And so that was uh, maybe breaking up some of those family farms that um, that had to get sold off to pay that inheritance tax. So that's going away. Uh, we had to do it over five years in order to, to be able to uh, pay for it, but that's going away. Um, obviously, the big tax, uh, the big tax deal this year uh, for retired farmers, uh, making sure that their income through rent was not going to be taxed because many farmers, their land is their retirement. And so to make sure that they were treated the same as other retirees, making sure that was not um, going to be taxed. Um, the Ag Trust Pass bill that we've talked about, you know, that's a real big issue for our livestock farmers. Uh, these outside groups, many times outside of the state of Iowa, are breaking into buildings, lying to get jobs, um, and then manufacturing these false videos, um, you know, securing those, uh, you know, increasing those penalties. Um, you know, those are just a few off the top of my head that I think have made a real big difference to our Iowa farmers. Um, you know, and, and, and there's some other stuff this year. Uh, we, we um, you know, we passed the biofuels bill to make sure that uh, we have an E15 standard in the state of Iowa. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, subsidies for oil and gas. And so, um, you know, we want to make sure that at least in Iowa, that's where we have control, um, ethanol and biofuels are, you know, number one. And so we, we did that. Um, but there's a whole host of other ones that I'm, I know I'm missing, uh, but those are kind of the big ones that we've done just in the four years that I've been up there. So why are you the right choice for Packwood, for Pleasant Plain, for Kyoto, for Richland, for Ollie, and for Hedrick? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I have a I have a history of public service, seven years as mayor, four years as, as an Iowa representative, and I've shown through those four years um, that I can lead, uh, that I listen to constituents. I will sit down with any constituent, and I have in the past and will continue to do that, um, whether they agree with me or don't agree with me, and, and talk through different issues. Um, I've shown, especially as a representative, that, uh, you know, a lot of what you get pressed for is, is what comes to the floor, but a lot of the work uh, that you do for constituents is behind the scenes, whether it's to help somebody navigate the Department of Transportation and an issue there, or address an issue with, um, you know, a road, uh, you know, I can think of one uh, on the other uh, side of Pella uh, that I worked to, to uh, get the DOT to pave a, a, um, an intersection that was quite dangerous, um, you know, those sorts of things, those constituent contacts, um, those are important. Uh, you know, many times a, a legislator is a person's contact with the state of Iowa. And uh, unfortunately, with government, as you know, there's a lot of red tape a lot of times. And so uh, helping voters, helping constituents cut through that red tape, um, that's what I've been doing the past four years. Well, we just got, you a, know, couple, I'm, just got a couple minutes left. Uh, I'm a very proud uh, United States Army veteran. We just had a, a really nice... Uh, memorial service. Give me some examples of how you've helped veterans. Um, sure. So, uh, you know, I sat my first year on the Iowa Veterans uh, Committee, and uh, there was a couple of bills that we went through there, and I'm, I'm trying to, that's 
what seems like ages ago. Um, but uh, mental health with veterans is kind of a big deal now. And uh, making sure that our veterans have those resources, um, you know, and that includes strengthening our VSOs, our veteran service officers in the counties, because, again, that's many times that's our veterans' uh, first point of contact. Um, we created um, – uh, well, no, I guess we we, uh, we talked about doing a uh, a uh, uh, in, increase awareness for veterans' mental health because uh, again, that's a big deal. Um, you know, uh, the um, uh, strengthening the the veterans' trust fund. Um, uh, you know, it, it just kind of a, a whole host of things. Um, that uh, again, uh, they don't necessarily always make the headlines, um, but they're they're important to our veterans. Well, we've been talking. Our guest today has been Dustin Hyde, who's uh, from New Sharon. He's running for District 88 in the Republican primary, June uh, 7th. Uh, tell her, tell tell her, mention your social media sites and, and tell them how they can get to the polls and uh, how they can support you. Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, hi for Iowa on Facebook. Um, and, you know, early voting is open now, so you can go to your uh, county auditor, whether that's in Sigourney, Oskaloosa, or Fairfield. Uh, absentee ballots have to be received by the um, by Election Day. And, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, you can go to the Secretary of State's website to find your polling place if you want to vote on uh, Tuesday, June 7th, which is the primary. And I certainly would appreciate uh, your listeners' support. Well, this has been a fascinating interview, and I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you, and I think our listeners will enjoy uh, your answers and uh, your, you know, so some fairly hard-hitting questions, but you, you stood there and answered them all, and I certainly appreciate that. Uh, thanks for being yep. on the show. No, I appreciate you having me on, Dave. This is Round Guy Radio with news you can use that won't give you the blues, and thanks for listening.